Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland on News Talk. First up, we'll take a look at the business stories that are uh, exercising the country and indeed the world. Uh, this morning, jo- delighted to be joined uh, by Connor Falkland. He's a business communications, media, and public affairs consultant. Yes, a very grand title he has. And uh, That's also joining us is businesswoman and again former colleague of mine uh, and friend Nora Casey. Welcome to the program. Morning, morning, Bobby. Now, Connor, I know you've got a big title, but uh, the first question <laughs> I have for you is: Are you watching the monarchy? Are you watching? Uh, oh. We have the television on here in the studio. Uh, there's a lot of colour and pageantry going on in yeah, the background. They, they, there it is in the background, with Westminster Abbey looking like Hogwarts. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> crowns there looking like something out of Harry Potter. It, to me, it's all a little bit silly. I mean, I, I honestly won't be watching it, haven't been watching it. But you know what? It's a happy day for the Brits. Good luck to them. Yeah. Um, I, but a, a quite a strong part of me looks at that and just is very thankful that I live in a republic. <laughs> it's, uh, it's profoundly silly, but good luck to them. Nora, as somebody who spent many years in London, there must be a piece of you that's interested in this? Not one part of me, to be honest. I, li- I lived in London for 20 years, married a Brit, and my son was born there. I, You know, there's something like read the room about looking at the lavish pompous ceremony that's going on. I don't know why I'm totally disinterested. I have avidly watched The Crown, though. There seems to be no sort of halfway house in this. No. Either, you're, either you're obsessed and you're going to watch it wall to wall or you've no interest. Exactly. There doesn't seem to be any middle yeah. ground on And it. people who have no interest are determined to tell you that. <laughs> Yeah. They actually have to say, no, no, I'm not interested in it. Um, but, you know, that's my position and I hold to well, it. Well, look, let's look at the uh, business stories and indeed other stories at hand. Connor Falkland, what about civil servants pushing for a four-day week, no doubt? Isn't We're told on the this, Irish Daily Mail today. Yeah, isn't this bizarre? It's a story in the Irish uh, Daily Mail. Um, uh, civil servants looking for a four-day week. Um, why, you might ask? Um, and the answer... Why seems, not? Yeah, well, that seems to be the answer, Bobby. You know, they, everybody seems to think that they would like it. These are higher-paid public servants, so you're talking about people on salaries of 70 grand and up. Um, a lot of them in, you know, senior and important roles. I think pandemic did change working patterns and taught us a lot. There's a lot more remote working. Actually, I think the more serious issue that's in there is around flexibility Mm. of working in the public sector, private sector as well. And I think we've learned a little bit about that as employers are desperate for staff. They've had to be a bit more flexible. And it's changed working patterns. They don't commute the same way on Mondays and Fridays. So a lot of change has happened. But the notion that we can give ourselves de facto a 20% pay increase because wouldn't it be lovely for Irish society? I I sit between dragons here so I don't (laughs) fear being corrected but I can't imagine that would fly in the private sector where you actually have to pay bills with the money that you make. Nora Casey... uh Pascal Donoghue didn't seem enthused by it. What are your own thoughts on it? Yeah, it was interesting because Leo Varadkar in the past has been quite enthusiastic about it. And of course, there's countries like Belgium and Iceland who have four-day weeks. Um, you know, it's very triggering to hear that very well-paid senior civil servants are deciding that they want four-day weeks and everybody's, oh, it's not as if you're super efficient anyway and you can do it in four <laughs> days. But it's the inequity of it, I think, um, is something that... <coughs> I feel shouldn't go against it. Like, as in, I was a nurse, you couldn't have a four-day week, you know. I, yeah. mean, I think if you're a small business owner, like you're doing a 10-day week. So so when you look at this, you kind of think, 
Should that matter? I mean, couldn't it be the case that those that could? I know that my I think sons... there's an overriding suspicion here around productivity yeah. that yeah. people just don't think that yeah. the productivity would happen, yeah. and that, and as Connor said, that it equates to a twenty percent pay hike. Yeah, th- and that's true. And a lot of people who took part in that recent study that UCD did, I think Boston mm. College were involved. You know, they they were much happier, and the companies themselves, the majority of them, decided to keep it on. So I think it works in lots of different sectors. I firmly believe people, what I hope is that my son and the next generation are not working their ass off, my life said that, yeah. until 65 or 70, that they have got a, a beautiful life ahead of them. And AI is, of course, coming down the tracks to make it happen. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I, 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 I think, you know, the world of work has changed, but mm. I'm not sure it's just changed that much. Yeah, and, um, and, and look, the basic basic principle of work is that you, you do the work and the boss therefore pays you. But they are both vital parts of the equation and no matter how happy it would make you, yeah. it's just not realistic to say, I'm going to stay at home today because I prefer doing that and I'd like you to pay me anyway. Uh, I, I struggle to see but the, the logic. The opposite actually happens. That a lot of people who took part in that stu- those studies said, I had to cram five days yeah. work into, yeah. four days. into four days. The work yeah. didn't disappear. Yeah. I just had to be super... And, and I think work has to have some leisure and downtime too. I mean, you know, having a coffee, talking to colleagues. If you're under such pressure for four days to achieve your five days, it does take some of the joy of work. Let's talk about the the headline in the Irish Independent today. Global food shock to send grocery costs even higher. A basket of goods, and this is a basket of about 35 euros, is 13 more euros more expensive than last year. There's serious food inflation happening here, Connor. Yeah. Well, and again, we... there's a, 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 almost a, a translucency about it that, again, we're, we're almost not sure why. We, there are some stats there. <laughs> Uh, giving us hard data, but there are other reasons that are a little bit, little bit more questionable. Yeah, I think we're being softened up for price rises, or, or, or to you know smooth our tolerance for the price rises that have occurred. We got good news during the week, at least the consumer did, with mm. dairy prices um, being reduced. Not good news for the farmer. Yeah. I was going to make the point because yeah. the, uh, the supermarkets have an awful lot of power in that value chain, and while the consumer is going to get a good deal out of reduced. Uh, butter and milk prices, the producers are being squeezed and they're complaining about that. So there is something about that, the, the power that the supermarkets have. What's being spun here is that while dairy has improved, global sugar and rice prices are rising as commodities. And there's a UN um, food price index, which is said for the first time in a year, those commodities are going up in price. So what we're being told is that downstream, that will affect the Irish supermarket yeah. basket. Um, so maybe we're just being softened up for, um, you know, being, being given something back on butter and milk only to have it taken off as some Nora Connor Pope has an interesting piece in the Irish Times and again he he basically says the elephant in the room is profit uh, yeah. given the Byzantine nature of the business for decades uh, it is impossible to know just how much money Irish supermarkets make from Irish shoppers. Yeah. I think that's a fair point. It is. I mean, to be honest, the bounce back post-COVID has really, you can see it when you see the first quarter results and the end of year results for last year, the huge profits, turnover through the roof. On the plus side, um, we have competition. So, you know, nothing would have happened on milk had one of the supermarkets led the way and then everybody else felt they were going to lead the way. Now we see, you know, the, the issue of rice and meat, actually. Mm. Rice and meat and sugar is going to hit us in the near future. But we still have competition on the high street, mm. which is a good thing. The bad thing is it squeezes out a lot of other people. And yeah. it also, as you said, somebody pays for it and the producer pays for yeah. it, you know. Connor, I know you're interested in travel. Uh, again, uh, 
aviation here. Yeah. Uh, Embleton optimistic Aer Lingus passenger numbers will hold up. Uh, business travel to, from to the UK both ways seems to be down. A comment noted in in a statement from Aer Lingus. Yeah, and that seems to be the only trend pointing downwards. They're having a bumper year for, with visitors from the US. Uh, I think part of that is currency because obviously the dollar is a bit stronger now. But for whatever reason, the streets are full of Americans. My, my, my daughter is working in uh, Temple Bar and she said the place is just thick with Americans. I couldn't um, believe it as well. Yeah, uh, and, and not, not bad if you're making at tips. At the Bruce Springsteen concert, yeah. which I know we're going to come to, yeah. the and amount of Americans at it. Fantastic to see. I mean, that was a childhood memory for me. You'd meet the American tourists. They're all over the place now. Um, And and, and it's not just Aer Lingus who are optimistic transatlantically. Dublin Airport is now back to pre-pandemic levels. Was it 2.83 million passengers through Dublin Airport in April, which is just a whisker up on 2019. So I think what we're seeing is that the the pandemic lasted for two, two and a half years. 2019 is the real barometer. Yeah, Yeah. and and we're now ahead of 2019. So uh, it looks as if we're in for a bumper tourist season. Expect to read stories about shortage of hire cars and shortage of accommodation and the price of pints in Temple Bar. But those are kind of stories that you associate with a good season. So I think for those in the hospitality trade, thankfully, thankfully, they might be in for a good year. And whatever about supermarkets, I think the hospitality industry probably deserve it. do you know what I think about Irish consumers? The, the, there's there's one thing that makes us travel. So last year, what they lost our bags, we had to queue out the door. You couldn't get food. Um, you can't park your car. Long delays at security, and still we went in droves. And what's the marketing trick? Bad weather. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we we just you know what you it, see, it, it you, supersedes any other issue. Yeah, well, if you, you live yeah. on a wet rock in the North Atlantic with relatively cheap <laughs> flights to the sun, um, yeah, you can see the temptation. Nora, well, I have you there. Uh, Revolut uh, Chief slams the UK as a place to do business. Um, uh, there's a little bit of tongue-in-cheek here because the UK don't seem to have made it easy for Revolut there. That's probably exactly. uh, the, the great financial uh, institutes in London not really liking this new guy on the block. Exactly. And for all uh, they talk about tech, fintech and how important it is and the re-energising of their capital markets, I think they've made it quite difficult for them. And I'm sure that's why they're saying the UK is slow. It's still traditional and old-fashioned. But they did apply in 2021 to that very august institution, Bank of England Prudential Regulatory Authority. Anybody who has watched the Bank of Dave... Uh, will know how difficult it is to get a licence to become a bank in the UK. But this will be embarrassing for them because, you know, they've both come out saying we'd prefer to go to the US. It's impossible here with the regulation and how it's all bound up. And post-Brexit, it's not even an interesting country anymore. Well, the, fa- the founder, Nick Doronsky, I think his yeah. name is, um, he was saying that you could, he is waiting weeks and months for a response to an email or letter. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's not Brexit. That's but he, not... He's waiting two years for them to give him a response I, to his licence. I think also a lot a lot of the a lot of the pillar banks will be will be pleased to see that there was some auditor questions around yes yeah around revolution for the first time ever it made money but then there was a caveat to that to yeah. say we're not actually sure whether the money turned up or not and you're going what extraordinary thing because it has been revolutionary but as far as I can see nobody's made any money out of it yeah. so I, I, I use it but I never pay them a penny just in, in fairness to them and the interest of balance they 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 say that all those issues are now resolved and they found the money yeah. and their accounts are oh, signed good. off. <laughs> Yes, Ted. Thank you, Ted. <laughs> uh, Connor, uh, interesting story. There's like four stories in one from the Irish Examiner, mainly mm. focused on Cork businesses. But 
kind of sad to see yeah. the iconic family business really struggling to survive. They they cite businesses here that have been around over 100 years. Yeah, yeah. Just closing up shop. And some really well-known, like if you know Cork at all, O'Flynn's Butchers was there for years and years and years. Uh, Finn's Corner, um, a sportswear shop, Moss was Finn, Finn Finn family there for years and years. And you're right, Bobby, they are separate stories, but there are three or four separate uh, reasonably iconic long-term Cork businesses that have folded. In the case of the butchers, it's it, the, the owners are retiring. There isn't the next generation to take it on. Others, I think, are just being squeezed. And I'd be curious about your view because they, what they have in common to me is they are all street-facing retail <coughs> businesses. And, and, you know, I always think it's very, very difficult if yeah, you've got one uh, shot The two key and... sort of issues running through, you know, all the, 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 the real sad stories mm. of these businesses closing are, you mentioned it there, one is nobody to take over, next generation being interested. Yeah. That is one issue. But secondly, probably more importantly, is just the changing nature of retail. Yeah. Exactly. We buy differently, we shop differently, I mean, and sometimes I, these I, businesses, they just struggle yeah. to change. And I they're well the, located um, in the... Cork. It's not as if the, these mm. are obscure businesses they're right in the middle of the retail heart and yet I think that what I would say is drilling down into this you and I could spend a few days drilling down into this and it would be fascinating but during the pandemic everybody said uh, the answer is uh, online what's the question the answer is digital Mm -hmm. so there are family businesses in this country that have absolutely uh, reformed themselves brought in new people not always succession when it doesn't work and you don't have children or grandchildren to take over and it needs a new lease of life you know you can see it in everything from Clonakilty back black pudding. Yeah. Uh, you know, so these family businesses, I would say there are other things in the DNA, maybe the online business, mm. the, the larger supermarkets, issues around succession, not changing with the times. What I think is a real shame is that earlier in that process, mm. somebody didn't work with them mm. to try and bring them, because all of these things that yeah. we've done over the last two years, Bobby, you're a champion of it, I'm a champion of it. We say buy local, buy artisan, yeah. we thought that was the well, future. I'm going to be talking to Neil Hughes later in the programme about you know, insolvency and support before insolvency in small businesses. And he's got a lot to say on it. Well, for small retail, do we just have to acknowledge that, you know, something in that system is broke? That model really is... I think there's also a global thing at play in that businesses just don't last 100 years anymore. You know, in that between the rise and fall, the the cyclical nature of business has become much shorter. And unfortunately for these, a lot of these family businesses, it's it's just time. And and it is poignant and it is sad. And it sort of leaves our our high streets in all the towns and cities a bit barren and bare, doesn't it? I mean... Connor, I don't want you. To, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole with uh, you on SUVs because I heard you SUVs. speaking about this during the the week. But there's a again a, a, a big conversation on page fourteen of the Irish Examiner. Yeah, we need to start the conversation about the dangers of SUVs. Is this that the you, what this article appears to be saying is that you're safer driving one, but if one hits you, it's 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 twenty five percent more fa- chances well, are more. 25% more of being fatal. Yeah, well, and, and plausible and probably true. SUV's been in the news all week. It's one of those trigger phrases. If you want to get people riled up, SUVs. Because when you say SUV, the person is 
picturing the big Chelsea tractor, the enormously over-engineered Range Rover that's dropping little Johnny to school and doesn't seem to be doing anything else. And people look at that and go, that's too big, it's too awkward, it's horrible, we should tax it. Um, Be careful what you're taxing. It's nothing to do on this occasion with climate or emissions. You could be talking about electric SUVs. Um, So we're actually talking here about congestion in cities and whether the thing is just physically too big and we should tax it more for its presence on a city street. thing that's frustrated me this week is the deliberate conflation of those arguments where people are borrowing the legitimacy and the importance of the climate conversation to pursue something that is really more about aesthetics and taste. Just don't like big cars. Fair enough, say so, let's have that conversation and not pretend it's part of the climate row. Well, I think that's well said and I'm glad you said that. Nora, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I live in the headquarters of SUVs in Ranelagh, you know, so, uh, you know, I certainly get first-hand experience every single day of these huge, monstrous SUVs with, you know, one kid in the back pulling up to go to Morton's or go to the local school. So I, I think, to be honest... A car should be fit for purpose. There's a lot of status symbolism about mm. SUVs. And as you say, it's triggering. It's, yeah. I think, slightly more triggering than civil servants, you know, voting for a four-day week. Um, yeah. I, I drive a small car myself, a hybrid. So um, I, mm. I definitely think, like, you know, I'm in Leitrim later today. And there's certainly arguments of people going up those ditches and mountains and rocky roads to have something that is a four-wheel drive. I'm not too sure the leafy surroundings of Ranelagh require one. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, there's a fashion for cars to be too big. Car manufacturers are pushing big cars. Poor trend. We need to change it. Very briefly in very short of time, but was anybody at Bruce last night? I was there. Ralph Regal is obsessed oh, on page two in Irish. I yeah. screwed up. I didn't get Bruce It was tickets. great. I, I didn't it get was tic- wonderful. Didn't get tickets for the uh, rugby final either, so I'm in the bad books. Best gig I was ever at was probably about 15 years ago. Bruce Springsteen in the RDS. Fan. Well, that's where we were last night. Yeah, so what's your favourite song, Bobby? Well, I, I defines you now. Remember, Nebraska. Okay, let's go deep, dark. Okay, yeah, really? and I love all. I love all that American rural cars, all that stuff that he does around a whole niche of American society. I still love Born A couple of quick things, a couple of quick things about the concert. Wi-Fi is still an issue in the RDS. (laughs) Paddy Cosgrove, I hope you're listening. I was watching people buying bottles of Carlsberg with the people selling them, holding the visa machine up in the air to try and get a signal. (laughs) Swear to God. Uh, The other thing which kind of surprised me was there was a huge amount of people that were just disaffected, not really in the gig. Drives me mad. Uh, yeah. The same thing happens uh, at rugby matches these days. There are people along for, for a cup of tea and a chat and there's a Brucey gig going on. What is wrong with oh, you? That's Drives criminal. me insane, yeah. All right, listen, we've got to leave it here, folks. A huge thanks to my guests, Conor Falkland and Nora Casey. W- wonderful weekend. Thanks for a great review of the papers. Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland. Saturday morning at 11 on News Talk.